Lights up on a park bench. Lights up on a deck. Lights up. 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 A podcast by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. Hey, y'all. I'm Paige. Uh, I'm based out of Atlanta, Georgia, um, and I will be reading the part of Elle. Hi, I'm Daniel Meeks. I'm coming to you from Bloomington, Indiana, and I'll be playing Max. Lights up. Mr. Chance. Please, call me Max. Max. I'm Elle. Uh, And I am nervous. (laughs) (laughs) No need to be. I've already given you my money. Yes, you have. Your grant meant so much. Uh, I just hope I don't disappoint you. Oh, it already feels like money well spent. Uh, come in then. I'll uh, show you what I've got. Uh, so, this is where the magic happens. I hope so. Guess we'll find out for sure. Uh, any electronic devices on you? Uh, my phone and my bliss band. He rolls up his sleeve to reveal a watch-like device. 86%. Up a tick since I got here. Something's cheered me up. Probably the smell of chocolate chip cookies. Ah, my favorite. Uh, have any left? I've never had any. It's just a fragrance spray to make the lab feel homey. And I'm back down to 85. (laughs) Pretty consistent for me these days. Oh, impressive number. Slide sleeve to reveal a bliss band. My happiness hovers in the high 70s. I should have brought you real chocolate chips. <laughs> that would have helped. Uh, the band will be distracting, though. Do you mind taking it off? Taking it off is easy. Leaving it off is the issue. Damn things are an addiction. Always checking the percentage. Seeing how it corresponds with your current activity. Waiting for that elusive 100% chime. <laughs> it's a bit consuming, isn't it? I think we were all happier before we had a device to tell us how happy we were. I think you're right. You know, I heard one once, though. The 100% chime. Several years back now, a couple with a dog across the park near my home. It inspired my research. It was lovely. Was it real, though? <laughs> they were probably actors, strategically planning to trick people into believing it's possible. happy. I can't see it happening. Well, not from here. Let's get started and see if we can change that. That's the kind of can-do attitude I admire. And funded generously. You tried this all out on yourself first, right? I haven't, actually. Uh, Too nervous, I guess. It's difficult... To be both subject and observer and to take it all in. Uh, so, you'll sit here. Uh, here? Oh, uh, oh, no, over there. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, right there. <laughs> uh, so, you can see the images on the wall. And, uh, take it all in. Right. I won't bore you with the science I included in my proposal. And I won't lie to you by pretending I understood it. You read it, didn't you? Enough to see we were seeking the same thing. You were really a school teacher before you built all this? High school science. I just 
felt there was something missing. The paycheck? Respect? Uh, lunch break? <laughs> All that. Uh, but more. There was... An emptiness? Yeah, I sensed it in your writing. That's why I'm here. Kindred spirit. Benefactor. Lab rat. Oh, guinea pig. <laughs> I like that better. Guinea pigs are cuter. I think so. Uh, left paw, please. She slides a device on his left ring finger. Oh, small device for such a substantial endeavor. It packs a punch, trust me. In about ten seconds, the wall will fill with images. That's me. Uh, lots of me. <laughs> I didn't pose for these. Is this Photoshop? Not exactly. I don't understand. Then just... feel. She touches his shoulder. These are the first hundred. First hundred? There are millions here. What are they? Variations of you in alternate timelines, concurrent realities. A new one is generated every time you make a choice. <laughs> You're kidding. There's a you somewhere now who decided to remain seated in that chair. I look pretty similar in all of these. Well, same age, right down to the minute. If you look closely enough, though, you'll see little differences. Um, oh, scar above the eye. A pierced ear. Ooh, questionable mustache. You combine those three, I'd be quite the pirate. <laughs> so, my life is different in each of these timelines? Slightly in some, vastly in others. Uh, I'll, I'll show you an example. Choose a variant. Uh, gotta go with the mustache, Max. She reaches out as if selecting the image. She slides its center of the wall, then flicks her fingers open as if enlarging it. 3, 13, 76, 14, 20. What's that? The M-O-D. Moment of Divergence. It's time-stamped in the corner. March 13th, 1976, 2.20 p.m. You and Mustache Max live the exact same life until it diverged at this moment. Is this a photo? A rendering, based on your memory. I've forgotten all about this. Well, not subconsciously. My mother looks so young. This is the view as seen through your eyes. Um, she is asking you to... Choose between piano lessons and baseball. Well, you remember then. I do now. There wasn't enough time for both. That wasn't enough money, either. I chose piano. Mustache Max chose baseball. And he had a different life? A million different lives. Uh, number one, quit tryouts. Number two, lasted well, four practices. Oh, and number three, broke his nose opening day. Uh, wild pitch or line drive? Uh, tripped. On the pitcher's mound. 
walking to the dugout from right field. <laughs> I'm guessing none of them made it to the major leagues. <laughs> infinite timelines generally allow for infinite realities, but in this particular case, no. Choosing piano didn't make me a rock star either. Well, not the version of you that's standing here. But if we explore the variants who diverged sometimes after you chose piano, there are clearly some variants here with rock and roll hair. Oh, is that a mullet? Wait. Stop. I don't. I don't want to see these. No, it's not that bad of a haircut. No, I'm, I don't want to see that I could have been a rock star. I have enough regrets in my own life. I don't need to add more from alternate timelines. Crosses to the desk and holds up his bliss band. He waits a second for it to calibrate. 84%. You're supposed to be raising my bliss, not lowering it. Are we wasting our time? Is 100% even feasible? I'm confident it is. Why? Because you saw a phantom couple across the park by your house? Maybe you should show me the variants whose lives went horribly wrong. So I'll feel happier by comparison. Is there a heart attack, Max? A mountain man, Max, who's mauled by a bear? Look at Mullet, Max. There's got to be a timeline where he OD'd after getting fired from his Billy Ray Cyrus cover band. I could show you those kind of things if you'd like. Or, as originally planned, I could show you these. The variants who achieved 100% happiness. What? The... There's only seven. It's not an easy task. Why were these able to do it when millions of Maxes couldn't? When I couldn't? Every soul finds happiness in its own way. Relationships, wealth, success, fame, religion, charity, travel, art. No path is superior or inferior, just different. These were the lucky ones who found what they needed. And you can show me what made each of them happy? I can try. If you're sure you want to see. That's why I'm here, right? Why I paid for all these resources to find what's missing in my life. Now, I know that 100% happiness sounds perfect. It is perfect. But what if it's fleeting? Who knows how long it'll last? You're 85% happy, consistently. You said so yourself. But I feel I could be happier. I want to be happier. I regret not going for it. What if you reach 100% and then it fades? Wouldn't that be the bigger regret? You risk spending the rest of your life obsessed trying to reach that same high again. I've been obsessed ever since I got that bliss band. I've done everything I can in hopes of hearing that chime. That emptiness, the kind I sensed in you, wouldn't you like to escape it? Even if it's temporary. I suppose... I don't know. This is why I am the observer and not the subject. Let's observe one. See what happens. How about uh, Max in the middle? Well, that's a nice tan. Let's hope it's real. 
says the woman who sprays cookies from a can. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. You diverged at a traffic light in 2001. You stopped. He kept going. I've probably played things too safe. What happened next? Millions of choices, significant and insignificant, ultimately leading him to the moment of 100% happiness. That's beautiful sunset. Spectacular. Where are you, though? I can't tell. Is there another view? No, I can only render the memory through his eyes. Well, I'm obviously sitting with someone. Unless I've grown an extra left foot and painted my toenails. <laughs> I'd be impressed if you did. That's my shade of... Wait a second. That's my foot. What? That's my foot. I've seen it many times. The Hollish? The little toe that hides behind its neighbor? I think you're sitting with me. I'm bringing up another one. Oh, my. What? That's my television. I have no idea what I'm watching, though. It's Amelie. My favorite movie. And that's the same foot on the coffee table. Bring up the rest. All together. Already working on it. It's me. It's you. It's... us. Not to overstep my role in this experiment, but... You're clearly the catalyst in six of these. I don't know about the dog image. Maybe he just made me super happy. I've kind of always loved Boston Terriers. <laughs> me too. That's serendipity. Certainly is. No, no, I named her serendipity. I have had her for years. We're clearly walking her in the park near my home. I think you should look at your 100%. I think I will. I've got a good idea what I'll see, though. Sneaks a peek at her bliss band. I'm really enjoying these at the moment. They move closer together as they look at the wall. So, what do we make of these results? Well, evidence suggests that your soul finds optimum bliss when it realizes it's found the person it's destined to be with. Seems like a solid hypothesis. One worthy of a final test. Max crosses to the table and picks up his bliss band. He takes both of her hands into his and looks into her eyes. There's no proof that this will last forever, you know. There's no proof it won't. You're willing to take the risk? 100%. They smile and listen together. Elle reaches out her other hand and hits a few keys. Max slips the thimble off his hand onto her finger, almost like a ring. They move closer together, her head on his shoulders, to watch her 100% appear. Lights fade. Hey everybody, it's Gary, the producer for Lights Up, Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga's new podcast for playwrights, performers, and patrons of theater. 
I wanted to see if you've heard about Anchor. Anchor, the platform that's hosting our podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, well, I am happy to be the first to tell you about it. It is free. F-R-E-E. That's right, free. Um, There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer uh, or your phone. And Anchor will distribute the podcast that you create so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And you know what else? It doesn't cost you anything, but you can make money from your podcast, and you don't even have to have a minimum listenership. That's right. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So do like we did. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, or anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started and create your podcast. And welcome back for another episode of Lights Up. It's your old host, Dana. And I'm very excited to announce that this season in season two, where I'm going to be joined by some guest hosts throughout the season. And for our very first one up, we have Chelsea Carboni. And I want to say hi to Chelsea. And we're going to give her a chance to introduce herself. But I want to make a special note for our listeners as well that we are recording this on Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to Chelsea. I know you have a little one. And the reason, oh, and my little fur baby one is coming to interrupt us right now, too. (laughs) And the reason that we are having guest hosts this season is because Christy is pregnant. Her family is going to be growing by two. Christy is pregnant with twins. We want to wish her a very happy Mother's Day as well. Thank you so much, by the way, for having me on. This is great. I have been with ETC. Oh, I think our first show must have been 2013. Um, I do voiceover myself. I live in Atlanta, Georgia right now. And um, I have not done theater since I left Chattanooga. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) Um, But I actually started focusing more on music. um, And I have an EP out like on uh, Apple Music and Spotify. And I have a new single coming out. So I'm really focusing more on the music. But theater will always be Uh, my first love and I see probably going back to it once everything settles down with the pandemic and everything so so today we have Ken Pruce he's based in Central Florida and the play that he has written for us is um, the elusive pursuit of maximum bliss which I um, thoroughly enjoyed by the way we have a name to this genre of like sci like borderline sci-fi kind of um a little bit of romance a little bit of drama like a perfect little mix a lot of food for thought are you still a magician and a balloon artist well uh, when i graduated college i had a whole bunch of uh temporary jobs and one of them was to do birthday party magic shows um, i also worked at basketball games shooting t-shirts to the crowd i was a uh, wilbur the pig and a traveling uh show that went to elementary schools and I uh, DJed weddings and uh, proms. So I had a bunch of part-time jobs. Then I uh, met to the young lady who eventually became my wife and she was a school teacher. And I realized that she taught all day and I worked all night doing these weird events. So I eventually kind of 
retired from those jobs and became a teacher myself. And uh, uh, although I still have balloons in my pocket often when I go someplace, because you never know when <laughs> there's a crying kid and a mother who just needs some help, and I can sneak a balloon and say, hey, just hand this to your kid. And as long as it doesn't pop and make the kid cry even more, then I've done a good deed. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, very smart, man. So we have Ken here with us, and he may or may not have a balloon in his pocket. All right, <laughs> listeners, um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Um, I also loved the play, as Chelsea said. Um, and it is like kind of a uh, nebulous genre you could put it in a couple different how do you uh define the genre of this particular play and does that fall in line with a lot of your writing is it this kind of um i called it like a black mirror-esque almost science fiction but we're getting real close to real life now with that (laughs) it is very strange how life is starting to follow that show unfortunately Uh, you know a lot of my plays chelsea and dana are really light comedies there are a lot of setup and punchlines, and every once in a while i'm just in the a kind of mood where I'm, I'm pensive and thinking about choices I've made in my life, things that have gone well because of choices and things that, you know, may have gone better had I had I zigged when I when I zagged. And uh, this was sort of that mood I was in. I just started writing down some ideas about choices and, you know, alternate lives that you'd have if you had, you know, made a different decision at a crucial point or even a, a non-crucial point as they discuss in the play. Sometimes your choices are very casual, but you don't know that they're going to lead you down, you know, an unexpected road. Occasionally, uh, I stumble upon characters that just, you know, tell a more serious story. And uh, I do think this is a combination of comedy and drama and that sci-fi element is certainly there. So Um, It's a great balance of comedy and drama. I called it grounded humor, but it was all very real and very... Yeah, I'm just going to say grounded. That was the best word that came to my brain. So it's it's um, it's um a little surprising to me that you said this is different for you. You definitely want to ground any humor in reality, at least the reality of that world. You know, even in my wacky comedies, there's a reality to those characters. And uh, But I, I do feel this one's grounded. And I have to give my compliments to the director and the performers because they really brought out uh, – they kept it grounded because oh, you could yeah. easily take this and make it really over-the-top sci-fi or you could – try to push the comedy and they just they walk that fine line of making it uh grounded i think that's a key word so my compliments to the whole production staff completely yeah terrific terrific performances by Paige and daniel who i do um when you spoke earlier dana about black mirror that's exactly what i thought um ken it really kind of just touch the line there between what could be and what we kind of think about a lot. I mean, we've gotten so far in the way of uh, social media, um, electronics, where you can now like check your heart rate at any time. And it's kind of getting closer and closer to being a little creepy, like just a little borderline. So um, it's so crazy that you mentioned, you know, I always think of uh, Black Mirror or movies like Chris, directors like Chris Nolan, who will write that kind of like, oh, it could it could be, you know, and, and those choices that we make. Um, Dana, you brought up a good point about just the year 2020 being really living in that space of, like, what is happiness. Uh, we've mentioned this before on the podcast, and I think you can't help but mention it, right, because 2020 has been such a crazy year. But I've mentioned that for me personally, and I think many of us are viewing art now through – a COVID lens through a pandemic lens because it is such a huge collective global experience. I think this past year we've seen like 
on a global scale, people stepping back and going, what makes me happy and what defines a happiness journey and all these kind of big philosophical, you said you don't like lesson plays, but to me, I'm hearing like lots of big questions being asked, which is very different than teaching a lesson. You can just kind of ask a question. And it's just, you know, you have those days, sometimes just a very small thing, like hearing a song it makes you think back to a moment in your life, uh, you know, and, and I hear a song, I think of college and, oh, I heard that song and that was when I was trying to decide between majors and then my mind drifts into different directions. So uh, when, when I started writing the play, it was mostly about looking at your past lives or your, your alternate lives, like, would you be happier? And then uh, as I started thinking about happiness, the whole idea of a bliss band, which is, you know, a key element in the play, that came much later, almost halfway through the play, I came up with that idea. And it's just an idea that you could Ooh. wear a watch that told you how happy you were. And uh, you know how it is when you're when you're playing a game online or you're doing anything, you want to get as many points as possible. I could just envision a world where everybody is trying to get that 100% happiness. You know, there's no right or wrong route to find happiness. It's that uh, thing we all search for. And That's the big question, I think, that is great. Chrissy and I talk about this often, and Chelsea, I'd love to hear out what your feelings are when it comes to theater. We, we love hearing big questions asked and maybe that aren't necessarily answered. You know, if you're constantly seeking the optimal, if you're seeking 100% happiness, are you missing out on when you're truly happy? I just... I think that definitely... Like, I really loved hearing this. I think I needed to hear this play right now because I've been having kind of a, a, my own personal, like, battle with trying to just be for a little bit and not worrying because I can't tell you how much can I actually... I go on YouTube and I'm watching things about alternate universes, just fun, you know, just for fun. I love that stuff. So I'm thinking, like, oh, I think about this every day. Like, what if, what if, what if, you know, what could be or what might be in the, what could be in the future or what could have been in the past and just be present. I don't know if I've ever been fully present in my life. You know, something, I, I read lots of great quotes about how to do that. I just, it's something I would need to work on too. Uh, but I love, Dana, you described to me the perfect type of theater is a theater that does make the audience leave and have a discussion, whether you know, if you leave them thinking, um, it's much better to, you don't want to ask questions and leave it so uh, unanswered that, you know, it makes the audience angry. Like, you know, right. we're here to solve a mystery and we're not going to tell you you did it. Good night. And that would make you very angry. Here, you know, if people can leave the, the theater or, you know, close the computer after listening to, to a podcast and just have some thoughts in their head and examine or have a discussion with their, their loved ones about what they think it means or how they would react to the similar situation. That's what theater does best. It, it, it reflects the world around us and, you know, makes us ask those questions and hopefully entertains you along the way. Cause that's, that's certainly a key. <laughs> and you know, it's so funny. You spoken like a true teacher, right? Like you want to be asking questions. You want to be inspiring thought, but you also want to be entertaining where in that timeline um, of your life and your choices and your sliding doors and serendipity moments, um, where does theater come in and where does um, a playwright, a theatrical playwright come in? Well, I did theater all through high school and college, and I was doing a little theater uh, when I met my wife. Uh, when I started teaching, I taught middle school, so I had 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, and I volunteered to run the theater department, and when I was looking for plays, I just wasn't finding the kind of play that I would like, so 
Uh, for the first uh, three years that I taught, I wrote a new play each year for the middle oh. schoolers, and they performed my plays. And then, you know, someone said you should send those to a publisher, and I and I did. And for uh, a good like ten years or so, I wrote uh, just plays for middle school and high school students, and they're published and performed in theaters uh, in theater festivals for high schoolers all around the world. And then, uh, and then I actually attended a ten-minute play festival that a friend uh, from work, uh, another uh, teacher uh, wrote and I discovered 10 minute plays I didn't even know that was a thing and I wrote my first 10 minute play and it was performed uh, locally in Orlando and I got into that uh, frame of mind and for the last five years I've been only writing five minute plays five to ten minute plays and uh, yeah it's, it's fun you never know how someone's going to interpret your work and that's how I started writing for my own students and now I'm writing for whoever's kind enough to uh, take a stab at doing one of the shows. That's a common theme that we have heard, I think, throughout the pandemic, that as difficult as it has been for so many of us on so many levels, especially artists, um, playwrights have been finding avenues to get their plays performed, even if it is like, you know, virtually um, by by actors and directors they've never would have had access to previously, you know, in, in these ways. So that's been a real nice positive. Um, I would love to go back because I think you're in a really rare position that we haven't really interviewed a playwright um, who has written so prolifically for teens um, and for, for school age children. And I, um, I have taught, uh, I've taught in elementary school. And then when I was in graduate school, I even taught the undergrads. And I think most people who are in educational theater will know that material for people under 20 even under 25 is really really hard to come by well it was much easier when i started teaching because i was 30 and the students were 15 so i was only right. twice their age now <laughs> yeah. now i'm at my mid 50s and it's much harder to capture that voice plus this is way before there were cell phones and internet and things like that in fact i've had to adapt and revise some of my plays to try to update them because they don't make sense anymore because the kids say, well, why didn't he just use his cell phone? Well, because it didn't exist in 1992. Right. Sorry. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, my plays, it was much easier to write when I had my students. I'd actually cheat a little bit because I would hold auditions for the school play and I would have all these students come out and, and read a little monologue I would write. And then I would look at their personalities and say, this girl is so sarcastic. I'm going to write her a sarcastic part. And this guy is so... Uh, funny and this guy is so loud and uh, uh, you know and crazy I'm gonna write a crazy part and I would actually write parts for the students I knew that would be in the play so my first handful of plays were a little bit different um, so I just you know tried to relate to what the kids were going through and like to make people laugh and if, if they think a little bit while they do it well that's a little bonus I think I would have just been ecstatic to know that my teacher was writing stuff for us you know that, and yeah I was gonna say and, the same <laughs> Right. So I'm because it's hard. Sometimes you're doing these. Th I mean, like here, overshare. I think when I was auditioning for colleges, I did a Blanche Dubois monologue and I was 18 years old. Like, why? Why, why was I doing a streetcar monologue? You know, so I'm, I think I would have been ecstatic to have someone writing for me about things that were actually going on in my life, whether humorous or not. Well, I admit the first year I did it, I didn't tell the kids that was my play because I, I was nervous about it. Once I got more confident, the kids knew it was, you know, my plays. Once uh, I felt like I wasn't embarrassing myself because the first went, first two went over, you know, really well. And then I got a little more brave. And uh, 
they always think I'm a much bigger celebrity than I really am because I'm really not. I just my son's an actor. He just started college and he got to do the lead role in one of my plays while he was in high school, and that was a, a dream come true to me to watch him perform one of my plays. Uh, one of my one of the highlights of my life as a dad watching my son perform in one of my plays. See, that is serendipity that he got in, you know? (laughs) I was going to say, you know, happiness and celebrity, all relative. And it sounds like you hit a peak with that one. (laughs) Your bliss band would have gone off right there. (laughs) That is so cool. I really do. I wish I had a a teacher that way when I was in high school. I mean, I I loved my theater teacher in high school, but that is so neat. I mean, I I would be over the moon if I had a, a, you know, someone who cared that much about what they were doing and about me, especially as a teenager, when you're that age, you know, it's real fragile age. Everyone, you know, you're so your self-esteem is all over the place, your hormones all over the place. And I feel like just knowing that there's, it's just one more person that you're like, oh, that person is thinking of me and thinking of what I love to do and, and putting it together. And that, that's awesome. I'm sure that you've um, made a difference to a lot of these people. I appreciate that. Chelsea, and I'd like to I volunteer every year to uh, judge playwriting at the thespian festivals and the, I love reading the, the ideas of those young people because they see the world you know completely differently than we do and I'm stunned sometimes by their their ideas and their insights or their creativity so it's the future of theaters in, in good hands so lovely to hear that you're mentoring these young playwrights and um, I would love to use that as a jumping off point for you to discuss your writing process. We've talked to a lot of different playwrights, some um, who have, you know, nine to five teaching jobs or other jobs and do their writing around that. Um, We've talked to some playwrights who strictly have a, a, you know, daily writing schedule. So um, what do you do to encourage um, writing in these young students and developing playwrights? And then part B, I'd love to know what your process is for playwriting um, personally. Well, everybody, like you said, everyone's process is different. With with me, my days are pretty full with teaching, so I'm lucky if I can steal the weekends to write. And there are some weekends when I'm very productive. I'll write a whole Saturday. And there was a weekend like this weekend where I told myself I was going to write, and I, I never did. I, I got distracted with – but I read a lot of my friends' plays, and I, I have a lot of friends who are playwrights, so I'm always talking about playwriting, whether I'm writing or not. But once I'm, when I'm inspired, it becomes like uh, – just becomes a reflex like when you're inspired to sit down and the ideas just they churn out you know everything you think of sounds like it's a, a great idea and you just you fill that page with ideas and then you you go back and you chip away at everything that you know turns out to be nonsense um, recently I was told that the the only job of a first draft is to exist that's only that all that matters is to make that first draft exist and I haven't mastered that technique yet I'm a I wish I were better at that. In my head, I know that's what I should do. In reality, I, I'm still trying to get myself into that habit. Yeah. It must be nice to know then to do 10, 15-minute plays if, you know, when you're so busy with other aspects of life. Mm-hmm. Or do you find that writing shorter plays is more challenging? Uh, no, I, I think it is easier because if I can tell myself, 10-minute uh, plays are easier to plot in your head because you've got 10 pages you know, I love I love on a ten minute play if you can have something surprising happen at the end of every page. Are you ever a part of like the production part, and um, is that something that you continually kind of try to self edit when you're in production, or do you feel um, more collaborative if you've been able to be a part of that process? Well, 
in most cases, I write the play, and then it's in the hands of a producer. So I don't have a lot of say to, to see the play. Sometimes I've seen plays, and the actors have made my play way better than I ever imagined because they put so much heart and soul into it. And other times, you see a play that I thought was going to be a great play, and I realize that my words, even in the hands of a great actor, just aren't they aren't ready. That It's not plotted properly, or it's, it's paced too slowly. So you never quite know what you're going to get. Both um, as an actor and a writer, it's so subjective because I could write a play and send it to one theater and they'll reject it after reading one page. The other theater might love it and produce it. And as an actor, it's the same thing. You do the monologue mm -hmm. for one you know, uh, casting agent and they love it and you're the star of the show and you do the exact same thing the exact same way and someone else says, next. Oh man, I know we all know rejection so well. <laughs> Oh, um, before we wrap up, I do want to go back to this week's play specifically. Um, and speaking of uh, choices, of keeping people's uh, attention, of um, hiding little messages, Chelsea, you picked up on something in the play, a full circle moment that oh, I actually yes. did not pick up on until we had our discussion. So I'd love it if you kind of talk to Ken about this and see who of our listeners picked up and where that came from. If we could just dive into that oh, moment yeah. a little bit, Chelsea. I can't tell so you how satisfying. Amazed at. <laughs> oh, yes. I can tell you how satisfying it is when I see something like a full circle moment. Just oh, It's just one of those, like a, a final landing of like a good, you know, piece of art. Um, and for me, it was when she said, the first time that I ever heard that chime was when I saw a couple walking their dog in the park. And then, you know, at the end there, she's like, well, that's me, you know, and then and now we're walking my dog. Oh, we're walking my dog in the park now, you know, and I put and I was just like, oh, that's that is so sweet. You know, it just I thought that was great. That was like it was subtle. It wasn't like in your face or too forced. And I just thought that was great. Well, you were very. Uh, perceptive then when you were listening and um, I like that moment too it actually came to me very late and I actually was like a chill like when I discovered like that possibility I'm like oh I can make this like you said a full circle um, I don't know if a lot of people catch that but I do think I made it subtle enough that if you catch it it's a bonus and if you don't then uh, you know that that's okay too it doesn't change the meaning of the play but I do I do love those moments too that you describe when you watch something and it you know, something from very early pays off at the end so um, is this leaving a little breadcrumb, um, another maybe signature of yours is something that you try to do or subconsciously do? Definitely. My friends and I even refer to them as breadcrumbs, and that's, that's a key, <laughs> nice. key for me. Um, I always love an ending of a play where three or four elements come together that are unexpected, and I often get to the end of the play and then go back and make sure the breadcrumbs are spaced out uh, properly and where they're introduced and in in subtly, but also enough times that, that you recognize it. So I love that you mentioned breadcrumbs because I, I even think I should write a place someday called breadcrumbs because that is what I love to do. I, I love to set things up so that they all come together. Those those moments in a play where everything seems magical, that's that's what I love. When you um, So what is a word that makes you happy or um, joyful or has a lot of meaning to you? I guess serendipity would be a great one. That uh, mm. the idea that something magical and coincidental can bring joy. That's uh, um, 
is there a place that you really, really love, hold dear, brings you a lot of joy, um, a, a specific place, or a broad general place, whichever? The one beat between the end of the play and the burst of applause, that just anticipation of the celebration of what was just uh, completed, I think that moment, if I could live in a moment, it would be that moment that's magical. Oh, I had such a visceral reaction when you said that because I think both as a performer and as an audience member, that is, I'm going to cry. That's like my absolute favorite moment. And I've really missed having that in the past year. And I can't wait to get back to that. <laughs> what is an object that makes you joyful or has meaning to you? Whew. These are great questions. <laughs> object. My desk where I... Uh where if I'm really in a writing mood, I will sit at a certain uh, wooden desk in my house, and it's kind of my writing desk. And I have to admit that I don't go there all the time. Sometimes I write on the couch or on the back porch or just lying in bed, but there are moments when I really feel like, today I'm a writer. That's really good motivation, you know, when you're maybe not having a good day or you're just feeling totally drained. I am a writer. That's who I am, mm. and then that's awesome. Yeah. Um. Thank you so much, Ken. And we do want to just give you a chance uh, to say, uh, you know, if there's a website that you have, if any um, specific publishing houses have your plays published, um, anywhere that people can go to get more of Ken Proust, like Dr. Seuss, which I really love for a writer <laughs> to use that. Um, plug that now for your audience and we can put links up in the um uh, a pod in the show information for this podcast as well. Okay. Well, uh, I, I have plays published in several different places, but I guess the easiest way is just Ken Proust playwright on, on Facebook. I have a Facebook page that I put lots of beautiful uh, pictures of people doing my plays and I celebrate every month. I put a little collage of the theater companies who have performed my plays around the, the country. And uh, that's always nice. And I, there's, there's some really nice shout outs there when it was international, uh, Women's Day, I made a collage of like 100 women who performed in my plays. And yeah, Ken Cruz playwright on Facebook, I'm there. And uh, they have questions or want to check out some of the plays, there's links there as well. Awesome. Yeah. So all of our Lights Up listeners, we will encourage them to friend you on Facebook. Do you enjoy a challenge? Is your imagination stuck in overdrive? Is your attention span shorter than a Cubs World Series streak? Do you want your work read on Lights Up? Then consider entering our one-page playwright competition, Propped. Incorporate three of the following props into a one-page play. A mannequin covered with confessions. A decapitated head in a duffel bag. A stage ghost light. Green cheese. An old-fashioned camera. Two telephones. A cloth face mask. And a ring light. Create a one-page play using any of the three items and submit it to lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. If your piece is selected, we will read it at the end of one of our episodes. Now go forth and write. Lights Up is a podcast produced by the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga a 501c3 nonprofit independent theater company located in Southeast Tennessee. Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Colagiovanni. Sound by Eric Red Wyatt. Graphics by Jamie Goodnight. And Casey Keelan as the associate producer. 
No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the expressed written consent of the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ETC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ETC, please visit our website for details. Or you can become a monthly subscriber on Patreon and get access to exclusive content. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast. Lights Up is hosted by Anchor, a Spotify company. The easiest way to make a podcast.